Hello and welcome to Man on the Clapham Omnibus Sport Review. Today I'm doing an assessment on Jose Mourinho's first few months at Spurs. I think the best place to start is with the expectations upon Mourinho taking the job. And I'm talking more the media and the wider sporting public than Spurs fans. From what I've read and from what people you know, spoke to me about this, it very much seemed to be that we were guaranteed a trophy within the first couple of seasons. That the defence would be sorted out, it would be reorganised, and that a winning mentality would be fostered. And that potentially it was at the expense of you know the fluidity of the team and excitement. And that eventually, at the end of the line, in sort of two to three years' time, you know, Mourinho would have fallen out with Levy, fallen out with the fans and the players, and it would be a toxic atmosphere and that he'd be out of the club with a payout. Now, with the regards to the first three points, I wouldn't say the defence has been sorted out. It's getting gradually better, somewhat better. It's a little bit more solid, but it's not particularly a strength at this point. You've got a situation where Tongan looks to be showing his age and really lacks the pace that he once had. You know, Alderweireld is still at a fairly high level, but is not quite as solid as maybe two or three seasons ago. Davinson Sanchez has all of the qualities in terms of his tackling, in terms of his blocking ability, but he does misjudge high balls over the top. And that generally... Projects an air of uncertainty. I mean, his passing is actually generally pretty solid. It's, it's unspectacular, but the actual aesthetics of it is really ugly. It's an ugly technique. And as a result, and as a result, when he makes a mistake or a stray pass, it just looks much worse than it actually is. And there's, I suppose, um, a lesser extent that he hasn't quite developed as the club were probably expecting when they signed him for 42 million about two, three years ago. And you've got Serge Aria who has, in terms of offence, has scored a couple of goals, has seven assists, which is really, you know, just literally the level below sort of Trent Alexander Arnold, but his overall defensive performances have just really wiped out any of the sort of positive value. He sort of reminds me of a baseball player who hits 40 home runs, but offense, his defense is so terrible that it actually wipes out all of the value, and that in the end, the player, really speaking, is only marginally better than a replacement player. Which really, I think, neatly leads us on to the question of you know the trophy being guaranteed. And I think this expectation that is so strongly associated with the Mourinho brand, that is a guarantee that you're going to win something, and that you're going to win something very quickly. And I think it asks whether this has impacted on Mourinho's team selection, specifically in, in this year's FA Cup. I mean... When I went to watch you know, Middlesbrough away at the pub, I was very frustrated when I saw the team lineup. It was, it was a strong lineup, and you can at least give him credit for respecting the tournament. But for me, it was one of those no-win situations. 
is that you weren't giving any experience to any of the younger sort of youth players or any of the fringe players and you were forcing these players, you know, the first team for another, you know, long, difficult game. It's a long way to go to Middlesbrough. It's you know, cold, it's tough. And it's a young Middlesbrough team that were just working into a little bit of form. So yes, okay, you're expected to win that game and you're expected to win that game quite easily. So if you don't do that, then that immediately, you know, firstly you've got you then had you had a replay. You then lost a little bit of confidence in that your first team wasn't able to finish the mo- finish the job off. You then had the problem that none of your fringe players had had game time. So therefore it was much harder to really to assess what quality and what they could do for the you know the first team and for challenging for positions. So it was really a, a no-win situation, and we've now had the game against Southampton in the next round, where there's a, a late equaliser has been conceded, and there's another replay. So it's more and more game time being piled up on a team that doesn't have a particularly big squad and is deficient in a couple of areas, you know, striking, defensive midfield. And it, you just get the feeling that there's that risk of burnout, fatigue and injuries. We've already had a long-term injury to Sissoko. We've had a long-term injury to Harry Kane. And to an extent, it creates a little bit of a, a vicious cycle. For example, the only time really that Mourinho has sort of utilised the outer edges of the squad was the game away at Bayern Munich, which was really a dead rubber. But the issue is, is that Carl Walker-Peters, who hadn't played for an extended period of time up to that game looked rusty and what what were you expecting him to play like away at the Allianz Arena when you have you've had injuries and haven't played very much and you haven't played in that kind of system with the sort of players that he was playing with naturally he it, he didn't produce the most best performance and I was a little bit disappointed myself I'm a bit of a Carl Walker Peters um, supporter but it was interesting that one of the players that did stand out who was you know was Wan Foyf, who'd had a really good game at centre-half, and that then turned itself into a start against Norwich in you know, over Christmas, at which point he made a mistake that led to an equaliser. Sorry, Norwich's first goal was subbed off at half-time and hasn't been seen since. And for me, to an extent, I really blame the sort of media and the fans and the wider sport of sporting public for imposing this narrative on the Mourinho administration that he's already within several months of taking this job on there's a demand that he delivers a trophy any trophy which really just because it's an easy narrative because yes he did have success at Manchester United success at Real Madrid success at Chelsea Inter Milan and even Porto but this is a completely different job to those situations. The teams that he got at Inter Milan, the team he got at at Chelsea and Porto, they were already in a situation where they were that much closer to winning something. There was resource, there was expectations, even Manchester United to um, a slightly lesser extent. Whereby with Spurs, you're, you're taking a team that is in a rebuild. So yes, the first few weeks of the Mourinho era were you know, were pretty positive. You know, the team started playing better, but that tended to be more the new manager bounce rather than actually anything longer term. 
The thing is, this is a Spurs team very much coming off of the hangover of the end of the first great Poch Spurs team. You had a situation with some players who were ageing, who were coming to the end of their contracts. You've had some players that had declined due to injury. It, it wasn't a situation where making a couple of tactical tweaks and a new manager and a new, a new philosophy was somehow going to turn this team back into what they had been. You know, you have to... You know that Ericsson is you know, literally on the verge of going and wasn't going to be a player that you could rely on. Yes, we you have a replacement in Lo Celso, but he's had injury problems. This is his first year in the Premier League, and there's an, a, an adaption period. He wasn't a player that you could just immediately plug and play straight out of the box and would perform. I guess the counterpoint, though, to the, the Middlesbrough issue is, is that had he played a weakened side and lost, that would have strengthened the narrative that you know Mourinho was past it, that he, and it would put him... I guess under a huge amount of strain so early on in you know his first season he's only taken the job on you know let's say a third of the way through the season and if you look at the damage that the Colchester defeat had for Spurs in the league cup to Poch when really in many ways it was a moral defeat you know he'd given playing time to Troy Parrott, Jaffet Tanganga, both of them have been there, you know, full professional debuts. He'd given some playing time to Wanyama and Dyer, who desperately needed some playing time to get back to full fitness. And the thing is, they didn't lose that game in any, you know, it was a 90 minute game where they, broadly speaking, dominated, didn't put, you know, didn't create quite enough clear cut chances, didn't take the half chances that they had. Had 70-75% of possession. No extra time, straight to penalties. Lost the penalty shootout somewhat sloppily. It was, you know, the more experienced players, you know, your Ericsson, your Lucas Moras, that missed the penalties rather than, let's say, work experience, boy. But the point was is that you have the Champions League, you have the FA Cup. There was a good enough reason to expect that the players that they had that night should have been able to do the job. And maybe you could say we're slightly unlucky not to do so, but it wasn't the end of the world in that regards. And if you look at it, that Spurs are in the next stage of the Champions League, you would certainly sacrifice the League Cup to get to the latter stage of the Champions League. I think you could put the argument that, in some ways, it's a you know failure of the Mourinho communication strategy to really outline that this isn't that this is a this isn't a one to two year to three year job. It's a long term rebuild. I mean I think one of the interesting things that, you know, I think at the time was was categorized as quite a positive was that he said, okay, this year we're not going to be competing for the league title, but maybe next year. But I think now looking back on it and looking at the last few months I don't think that is a a realistic prospect if you look at just how good Liverpool are right now and just how many things would have to change for Tottenham to be able to even try and compete for you know a distant second place with the squad and with the talent that they have and with the likely transfer resource they have. So immediately by, I suppose putting that mindset in is that you're putting a huge amount of pressure 
on the team, on Daniel Levy, to provide you the tools and resource to be able to compete effectively within six to nine months of getting the job. It was almost putting Spurs onto a war footing, onto a very short-term short-term ideology that it was literally win now which I think is more than likely you're going to end up with errors you're not going to use youth team players you're not going to give some of the players that you sign your Lo Celso's your Undombele's the time to develop if immediately you're trying to get into a position where you're having to win every single week and I think it it really bleeds into the, the point of it is Jose handcuffed to his reputation in other words the sense of winning the sense of the immediacy of said winning and for me in some ways that failure to step away from that narrative leads often I think as an almost inevitable corollary that actually you end up with that short termism you end up with you know demanding more from the players than they can give and to focusing on the wrong thing so in other words yes he he did have you know success at manchester united in terms of winning the europa league in terms of winning the, the league cup and then the fa cup but actually that desire to finish second as quickly as humanly possible the the end point was is that were they actually in any meaningful sense of the word, close enough to actually compete with, with Man City. The, the thing is, finishing second but 15, 20 points behind Man City is really a it's really a pyrrhic victory if in terms of the squad you were building, the, the ethos and the style of football wasn't likely to be able to to match the modern winning percentages that your likes of Man City... Liverpool, Juventus and Real Madrid and Barcelona are able to put down. In other words, they're winning 90 plus points and winning with huge goal differences. So you're talking, you know, 100 goals a season. And as a result, if you're trying to play a more defensive brand of football, which you you can see from at times Inter Milan in Europe against Barcelona, that legendary tie and some of the, you know, let's say the first Chelsea team that only conceded you know, 14 goals in the league season, that there doesn't seem to be the players in terms of under 25, the next generation of players from coming through the youth development in the lower leagues, I don't think have the same skill set to be able to play you know, traditional Mourinho ball, whereby they seem to be far suited to playing some of the you know, more expressive Manchester City, Liverpool, you know, which is far more progressive. You know, I think it's interesting to look at sort of Mauricio Pochettino's attitude towards cup competitions and Jose's. I think that the point is with Pochettino was that he was actually a pretty successful cup manager. His unfortunacy was that the semi-finals and the finals that he got to were always quality teams. It was... Chelsea in the final of the League Cup. It was Chelsea in the semi-finals of the FA Cup and Manchester United in the semi-finals of the FA Cup. And that was whereby, if you compare, let's say, with late career Arsene Wenger, his cup semi-finals were against the likes of Wigan, 
Reading, he had a final against Hull City. You know, a final against Aston Villa, whereby those outfits just weren't able to compete with them, whereby had, you know, Arsenal played, you know, Chelsea and Manchester United. I don't think it's as inevitable that they would have, you know, won. Although you could say that, you know, playing a lower league, lower division team, that they struggled in the sense that, you know, the Reading, they had to go to extra time. And that Poch was able to, to an extent, marginalise cup competitions from a position of strength because they were competing for the league, they were doing well in the Champions League. I think, for me, there's a fear that Mourinho winning an FA Cup or a League Cup with Spurs would be far more along the lines of a tick box situation. In other words, if let's say they win the FA Cup this year, luck of the draw, they just keep getting, you know, not getting the toughest team in the draw, they get a you know a decent you know, semi final draw, and on the day in the final, Harry Kane comes off the bench with fifteen minutes ago and smashes in a winner. Whether that would simply allow Mourinho to say, "Yep." Yeah, I've done exactly what I, you know, what the Mourinho brand offers, which was instant success, and that rather than actually developing the squad that he has and the resource, that in two or three years we'll be able to not just be on the outer edges of qualifying for the top four, but finishing second, finishing third, and actually competing for the league title. So for me, my argument would be that. I'm not 100% sure that winning the FA Cup this year would necessarily help Spurs in a medium and long-term sense. If it means that you have all of these replays and not being able, and his unwillingness to use the outer edges and depth in the squad, that would mean that whereby fourth place is still, you know, is still possible that you could end up losing out on that opportunity to you know, Chelsea or to a Wolves or to even Manchester United and end up with a Pyrrhic victory in the FA Cup. Yes, that would settle the media and the wider sporting you know, concern narrative and say, yep, Spurs have finally won something. But it's part of a lingering and, to my mind, a, a misplaced argument that states winning the FA Cup is a stepping stone to wider success. In previous podcasts, I've really looked into it, and it often isn't. Yeah, especially with the League Cup, is more often than actually the supernova part. That that's just the bit where your team gets to that level and finally wins something, and that's when you know you then go on to the downslope and it can lead to relegation, rather than actually as a stepping stone to finishing in the top four, top six, getting into European competition on a, a regular basis. Yeah, I, for me personally, a trophy would, would be amazing as a fan. Yep, it would have benefits as a self-worth reward and as a narrative tool, but it's no guarantee that the, the, the Mourinho administration was building something that is going to be viable against City and Liverpool in the medium term. For me, it's almost a, a sheen of legitimacy on Mourinho. But... But sometimes the easy narrative isn't always correct. You know, Mourinho winning an FA Cup this year doesn't make his strategy a better one than Pochettino's strategy over the last four or five years. 
when looking at it, I see far more red flags with the Mourinho administration so far than I would if I'd looking back at, let's say, Pochettino's first season. And for me, I feel that Mourinho at the moment is overtly systemic. It's one formation and that the players have to fit into. So it's, you know, 4-2-3-1. The one really being a, a target man. The back four, it's back four out of possession, back three with the left back tucking in, and Serge Aria bombing forward. It's almost sort of a somewhat, it's, it's not quite a wing back, not quite a right winger, but somewhere in the sort of middle between that. And its rigidity leads, I think it's quite easy for teams to game plan to frustrate Spurs. You know what they're going to do, you know that the left back isn't going to kick on you know that there's going to be space behind the right back you know in the sense that Ario doesn't really track back or isn't yeah and can make mistakes can make sloppy mistakes you know if Davison Sanchez is playing at right center half that there is you can put him under pressure and then you know he then has to shift the ball out to the left and you know that you can isolate you know the the left-sided player in the three, the left-sided attacking Spurs player in the three, because you know the full-back on the left side isn't really going to overlap. You know that there's going to be some... You know, you can isolate the one. The, the target man. If you put someone on him, it, that means that you can't... You can limit flick-ons. I think it leads to a lingering point that I'm not 100% sure that the... That style of four two three one really fits the squad that Spurs currently have. You know there isn't an informed defensive midfielder, and for me, and this isn't going to be a full on compare and contrast with everything that Pochettino did, but if you look at the way how Pochettino dealt with Harry Kane's you know injuries, there was able to you know change the tactical scheme to utilize Sonny as the one up front and if you play in the right way that you know suits his pace his ability on the break you can have a successful four you know successful four two three one with Son up front however if you're going to play that same formation with Son being the target man and playing essentially the Harry Kane role of course it's not going to be successful it's it's going to you know be detrimental on sonny's abilities because he doesn't have the you know the vertical leap he doesn't have the ability to really hold up the ball or to put pressure on the center halves in a way in terms of physicality that harry kane can have and so you, you there's a question mark with the 4231 well really how can you get undombele and lo celso into the same team. Do you put you know, Lo Celso as the 10, which then leaves issues, do you have to then push you know, Deli Alley out to the wing, which is really not, I suppose, his strong point, or do you end up with the two, the double pivot with Ndombele and Lo Celso, which is, you're forcing one of them to be probably more defensive than, they, than their skill set really merits, or the how they'd want to play the game, or you leave Spurs, you know, effectively, you know, somewhat defensively weak. <laughs> and I think this style of formation it relies too heavily on Kane. And we we're now getting to the point where 
we understand that, to my mind, Harry Kane is not a a natural athlete. This is someone that has worked incredibly hard in the gym, on the training pitch, to get the most out of, you know, he's not naturally pacey. He is not naturally, you know, doesn't have a, you know, imagine, you know, there's, when people talk about him as a kid that he was quite slow, a little bit podgy, and it's fantastic to see him blossom into this, you know, fantastic athlete. But the problem is, is that, and his own mentality that always wants to play the next game, always wants to give 110%, you know, will play with injuries. And as admirable as that is, his body isn't able to handle that level of pressure. And yet it is an absolute indictment on uh, Daniel Levy and to a lesser extent Pochettino and to a probably greater extent going forward Jose Mourinho in that none of these people worked out but actually by overplaying him and also you can add Gareth Southgate into this by overplaying him by fostering in Kane the the latitude to play when he isn't 100% fit has led to, you know, has impacted on these injuries. And has, my biggest fear is that we end up having this generational talent, you know, a self-made generational talent, be wasted by, you know, just misuse. You know, I don't want to be sitting here having a podcast in four years where we're talking really about the decline of Harry Kane and saying that, you know, Spurs is a kingdom for a decent, you know, backup striker. Or the sense that actually the game plan should have been focusing far more on getting Kane chances in the box rather than, although as wonderful as a passer he is and uh, that he can play 10, that he shouldn't have spent so much energy and effort having to effectively score his own chances and make his own chances. Whereby had he played with Man City or... You know, Real Madrid, those chances would have been given to him. And yes, that added string on his bow that if in tough games that he could drop deep and create chances, but that wouldn't have had to have been such a huge part of his game. You know, I'm, you know, going back to this, whether this formation and his and Mourinho's interpretation of it you just leads to players in awkward and confusing roles. You've you know you've had Sessegnon where he said, well, I don't think he's a left back as yet, but he's then been used as a left back. It's you know you know at the start of you know Tanganga's Premier League career, he's ended up playing as a right back. He's played as a centre half and then played as a left back. When yes, he played. A little bit of left back, sorry, a little bit of left back, a little bit of right back, but not in any meaningful sense. He wasn't given a month to play there. He is a centre half who, in his first few games, has been really press ganged into being a fullback and you know spending more of his you know playing time as a left back when he's you know right footed. It's it's frustrating in that. If you look at the way how he's played as a right back, he's got forward and he's there's so much promise there, and yet really he's being used almost as a third centre back 
at the left back role. So that I don't think there's much developmental promise that you're getting out of it. It's simply a short-term measure because he doesn't have confidence in the left-backs he has and that Ben Davis, who is, is I suppose, at the moment, platonic ideal of, of a left-back in that he can basically play as a third centre-half, play as a decent full-back, isn't really going to, to do a huge amount going forward, can do a little bit, but is mainly just going to be a solid anchor role in that position. And you've got a situation with you know Aria being this sort of automatic starter. And yet you could sit there and say, well, actually, if you have a team with, you know, Sessegnon, why doesn't Sessegnon play as the fullback bombing on? And then you could use someone like you know, Carl Walker-Peters, or you could use Juan Foyf, who is you know, currently at the moment Argentina's starting right back. It just doesn't feel like a particularly cutting-edge use of that formation. I think neatly leads us on to a key question of whether Mourinho is too rigid and stuck in his ways. And I think it, immediately you start with his attitude towards young players. Uh, take uh, Troy Parrott. There's, he's not, Mourinho isn't overtly wrong in what he is saying. This is someone who has been a manager at the highest level and has won huge amounts of trophies. This is not a this is not a first time manager making rookie errors of judgment, you know, in the sort of film Neville school of things, with let's say the third place playoff and his attitude towards that. He is completely correct in that Troy Parrott is not currently ready to be a week in, week out starter playing once, twice a week as the one, as the nine in a four two three one at professional level. He is only seventeen, you know, he is you know hasn't had a loan spell and has really only has although he is massively too good to be playing at under twenty three level, there is still a huge step up into full time professional men's football. And that while there are fans who have watched the videos and seen the potential, as we all have, he is obviously a fantastic prospect. There is some nuance to that. For example, Mick McCarthy, when he called him up for the first, uh, for the first time for a Republic of Ireland, and what he said was, is that yeah, he'd done really well, but there've been a couple of. Um, training sessions on the physical side of things where he said by the end of the training session he was puffing so there is still a physical level of development and in terms of mentality but by positing that in such a way in in almost a negative connotation i.e he's not ready to be a starter which is true but there are ways of framing it in a better way you could definitely find a way to use him for 10-15 minutes or just to have him on the bench as an option. You know, when, let's say, the last 10 minutes against Middlesbrough in that third round cup game, bring him on, he wouldn't be at fault if they had lost that game. You know, he, you know, he's got potential. If he can play 60-70 minutes of Republic of Ireland versus New Zealand at Lansdowne Road and get an assist... He has something. He has that is more than enough. 
qualification that giving him 5 or 10, 15 minutes in these sort of lower level games isn't going to harm his development. You know, you get to a situation where you look at, you know, Wayne Rooney, when he was originally, you know, about the same age, making his debut, is that you certainly shave some time off the developmental thing by developing him at that level. Gently, slowly, but surely. Because if then he does, let's say, have one game where he comes on, scores a couple of goals, confidence goes through the roof, fans get behind him, you could suddenly discover by the end of the year the guy could be starting week in, week out. If you sit there and take such a slow burn thing that he has to you know go you know, go jump through every single hoop has to tick every single box before you put him into the a major role that you know there's nothing necessarily wrong with that but there's you're limiting you're limiting that potential in other words he's not going to become the next great spur striker if he doesn't play and there's no real point, and that's why they haven't sent him back to play any under-23 football, any youth football, because he's too good. He's not getting any positives out of that. Whereby you can get huge positives if you give him 20 minutes, 10 minutes, 5 minutes, to see exactly what where his ceiling is right now. We don't know at the moment how he would really deal with, you know, First team football, we've seen 16 minutes at Colchester where he didn't get much of the ball, and you know, because it against a very low set team that was playing eight, nine, ten men behind the ball. And we saw five minutes at the end of you know, Bournemouth where they were already five nil up, so there's really no benefit from that regard. But even in those moments and the New Zealand game, he definitely has something about him, and I think he's good enough to at least carve out a bench role. It would enthuse the fan base. It would play into a narrative that you know Mourinho is building the next great Spurs team. And I think intrinsically his view to young players appears to be that they need to work towards the Mourinho level. And that this level is very much predicated on defensive solidity as a prerequisite. And the negative connotations rather than on attacking potential. In other words, he seems to like Jafet Tanganga because you can stick him at left-back and he's not going to make a big error. Whereby, if you look at him when he played right-back, he showed so much potential going forward, even if he is you know, a you know, traditional centre-half. You're not going to see that attacking potential if he's playing the defensive left-back now, effectively, Mourinho sets the level and the role in this rigid hierarchy, and that the player has to meet that. And it just seems anachronistic and self-defeating. Is that, in other words, he's saying of you know Cessignon, saying of Troy Parrott, and even to a little bit you know, you know before Christmas, Lo Celso, that they needed to, you know, they had so many weaknesses and that's why he couldn't play them. And he's almost saying the same about Foyf at this point. Rather than saying, actually, all of you collectively, you know, are you know, getting to the point now of being internationals, being on the verge of international selection and having track records that indicate so much attacking potential. 
it seems to be that and look at you know Foyf and the problem that he had in Norwich. He made one mistake. He got tackled, led to the opening goal for Norwich, and has never been seen since. Yes, defenders will make mistakes, especially young defenders, especially young ball playing defenders. But if you look at it, at this point in his career, he's shown that he can play in a back three. He's shown he can play in a back four. He has good passing. He's got decent enough pace to be able to play fullback at international level. He has an attacking element. It's you know, there's still you know, he still makes probably too many mistakes, but all ball playing defenders in their early twenties make serial mistakes. You know, Rio Fernand is your example. But you can see that he could potentially be a defensive midfielder. And that's where Spurs lack a position right now, whereby, you know, Pochettino was able to turn Eric Dyer from a centre half prospect into for two or three years, you know, nearly, you know, someone who had the potential to be a world class defensive midfielder. Foyf could do that role, but if you're not going to play him at all, not in the cups, not you know, and only when he used him in Bayern Munich as a centre half, we already knew that he's a pretty decent centre half. What we need to see is is he going to be a better left back? Is he going to be a better defensive midfielder? Would he be better in a back three or a back four? There's so many questions that are unanswered, and at the moment it seems more likely that they're going to be answered at a completely different club. Which to me is a complete waste of a huge talent that you've spent some money in, you know, five, six, seven million pounds, and has shown enough to be on the outskirts of the team in a way that he has so much more potential than, let's say, Jan Vertonghen, who at this stage is out of contract at the end of the season, who looks, and I hate to say this because I you know, love Jan Vertonghen, he looks like someone who'd do much better in Italian football right now. I don't, I think he is literally right at the edge that the pace that the Premier League is played at and his drop-off in pace, I only see Vertonghen being less effective the more you play him and the older that he gets <laughs> with you look at the limitations and on resource that spurs have in terms of transfer market in terms of the pool that spurs have in comparison with the elite of european football and the thing is is that this kind of very black or white way of dealing with it either you're at Mourinho's level which is what tanganga is and or you're not at Mourinho's level, which is you know, Sessignon, Foyf, and Parrot, is that it creates a form of hypocrisy. Is that uncertain performances, you know, get punished. You know, like Walter Peters, like Foyf, and yet you can have people like Aria, you know, and to a lesser extent Vertonghen and Alderweireld make mistakes, but. They seem those mistakes seem to be forgiven, seemingly because they are currently fitting into Mourinho's structure and their seniority. And while this approach to youth team players, I think previous generations would have reacted better and positively to this. But I think the the new generation, I think are far more reliant on positive reinforcement and with the improvements in training methods are able to impact sports 
far younger than they were maybe a generation before. You can see that in the tennis with um, Coco Gauff you know, being 14, 15 and beating established players on the, the women's tour. You see that in with Pakistan using a 16-year-old fast bowler. You can see that in baseball with teenagers now far more common than they were, you know, two a decade two decades before you know players at 19 being able to start on world series teams and not just start but actually succeed which i think flies in the face of Mourinho's reluctance to play para and reluctance to use young players in general which has really been a hallmark of his career <laughs> and that while he has used you know young players they always have to they tend to be more solid players that aren't going to make a mistake than they are to be attacking players that are likely to be inconsistent in that regards and make mistakes. So really, has Mourinho used his resource well at Spurs? I think on the plus side, you've got Ali, but Ali was an ex- you know, vastly more experienced player for a 23-year-old if you compare him to anybody else in his age group. And while it was you know, intelligent to basically push him further forward... I think even at the back end of the Pochettino era, there were signs that Ali was getting back to his best and that simply pushing him further forward and closer to Kane, I think, accelerated that. And you have to give Mourinho credit for that. And with Aria in the attacking sense and Tanganga in a defensive sense and Loselso, I'm inclined to just call that luck more than anything else. It definitely seemed like Mourinho didn't fancy him, and yet now suddenly he's you know, really had a run of games, and to my mind seems far more down to injuries than an inspired selection that he's now really worked his way into it. But my point would be is that Lo Celso has now in his career played in Spain. He's played out in France. And he's you know, played a little bit in Argentina. So this is his fourth country that he's been playing football in. So both of them, at, you know, around about the same ages, have had far more experience than your average youth team player or average 23-year-old would have. On the, the negative side of the ledger, I'm looking at Foyf, Parrot, Walker-Peters, Ari in a defensive sense. And I don't think we'll have a fuller answer really until let's say the end of the season as a good sort of staging post Mm -hmm. to come back to this for me I think probably the the saddest thing about the Mourinho coming to Spurs in that is that you see glimpses of his the Mourinho magic in terms of game plan in terms of you know substitution in terms of ideas I think the, the tactics for the Liverpool game worked really well. Okay, you can say, you can argue that there was negative you know, connotations to it, but it worked. It left, you know, in the last 20, 30 minutes, you know, Liverpool had run out of gas, had run out of ideas. They had, you know, the, the tactics had largely, you know, stopped them creating huge amounts of chances. It utilised, you know, the in terms of playing, you know, Tanganga almost as a centre half and as a right back, and you know, Aria as a right wing back in front of him stopped a lot of the 
lines that Liverpool use to to you know, create chances. In other words, the chances that Liverpool made were generally down to Spurs errors than they were, you know, a an exemplar of, you know, Liverpool's attacking gifts, which they have multitudes of. But even in the positivity that you gain from that, it was reactive rather than proactive. It was simply saying, Liverpool are so much better than us, how can I stop them? How can I try and finagle a result? And I don't know whether in the modern game where you have you know, a really a super league of 10, 15 teams that are just better than everybody else, whether you can game plan on a regular basis a reactive way of stifling them and succeeding on a regular basis. At this point, I think it's relevant to make some criticism of Levy and the way how he's been really running the club in the sort of short term. I think there's an element of a, a loss of bottle. <laughs> Take the Jack Grealish signing. It's really emblematic. They missed out on the player who's probably now at least in the £60 million bracket. Really due to haggling over a few million pounds. And this is what it shows. Either Spurs believed that the player was a future linchpin of the side. You know, into, you know he counts as an English-raised you know, player... He was young, he was pace, all of the positivities that would suit the way how Tottenham play football. So at which point you would just spend the extra few million pounds just to guarantee it, because you know Villa were in all sorts of financial problems. Had you just sat there and offered them £30 million straight on the barrel, you'd have got him. But they didn't. So at what point your criticism is they basically sold themselves down the river for just to try and save a few million pounds unnecessarily. Or that actually it was really just a lottery ticket signing because Villa were in financial trouble. They thought they could get a bargain player for 15, 20 million pounds. You know, effectively you know, a receivership auction situation where you can get a fantastic car for a couple of grand when it's worth 15 grand. And that actually they could get him on the cheap and if it didn't work out, it was a lottery ticket signing, you could sell him on for a small profit. Which is just, that's not really how the great teams do it. You either believe in you know consistently signing those younger players and that is part of your ideology. You know, Dortmund are your great example of that. And to an extent, part of that is because you know Pochettino had that desire to move on from medium to long term signings, and it was you know coincided and probably influenced by the closing window of his first great team. That actually, when you're two or three players away from competing for the league, you don't want to sign another a Jack Grealish or a James Madison because you're not sure whether they would actually be able to break into the first team, at which point you're just sort of throwing money down and potential down the drain. And that actually it's signaling to your senior players, your Kane, your Ericsson's et al, that a lack of ambition. And that's playing into you know, the Rose narrative regarding wages and ambition. And so that would then signal to the rest of the league and the wider sporting public and the media. Mm. So for me, my argument is, is that 
Mourinho was really hiring was as a short-term panic and PR exercise. It was designed to placate the Spurs poch narrative as bridesmaids who lacked the killer instinct to, to win trophies. And it was also an, a sort of fairly despairing attempt to capitalise on the short-term Mourinho dividend to finish in the top four as a way to, and also as a way of you know, trying to get show to your Canes, your Ericsons, all of those sort of key players, your Allies, that Spurs were trying to compete at the top end of the market. Mm. And so I think the, the end result is that you have a, a talented, you know, yet uneven squad. You know, you have no backup strikers. You've you've you're still suffering the lingering hangover of the breakup of the Poch team. You know, you've still got Wanyama who's no longer a top level defensive midfielder due to his knee injuries. You've had the Ericsson saga. You still have Rose on the you know, book for another 18 months. It's a crossroads. And really the question is, is that do you adopt, do you adapt to the Mourinho system with its exacting blueprints, its need for rigid players to be, no, sorry, for experienced players to be bought in that will fit his exact schematic? Or in due course does the club admit that actually they need to return to its you know, root philosophy of utilising you know, young talent under a younger, more modern manager. So for me, the, I suppose the conclusion to this podcast is, is how do you see Mourinho making up a success of Spurs? Is it going to be by creating a proactive, positive use of the resource he has? Or is it going to be utilising ex- you know, significant external resource to build a reactive, stereotypical Mourinho unit? And my answer at this stage would be, I don't think he has the, the style and the mindset to do the first one. To use the youth team players, to use some of the attacking verve that the Spurs currently have in their first team. I don't think that suits his style of management and I don't think that this stage of his career that he's going to be able to change. And so really it leads on to the second one where you need to have that kind of infusion of, of transfers and signings that suit his mould. And I don't think that Spurs have the money to bring in that calibre of player and enough of those players for Mourinho's style of football to be successful competing against your Man Cities, your Liverpools. Because it is looking far more reactive than proactive. But I hope on both counts that I'm wrong. Thank you for listening.